Well, praise the Lord in the body. Hope you all had a great day today. Beautiful Arizona weather. Every part of my body is drying out and cracking. I hope you all have some mercy on me. Y'all seem to be doing just fine. It's negative humidity levels here. I've never experienced that in my life. That was the first lame joke that I probably start with. Such a powerful move of the Holy Ghost last night. I'm thankful for your aggression, your hunger, your fanaticism, and for the guy that knocked over the speaker. I don't think I've ever seen that happen before. Only in Pentecost that you get hand claps for stuff like that. Loves God. I had one kid. We were preaching a youth retreat in uh, some place, and, and one kid went at it, man, and he lost his balance, rounding a curve, and the chairs were made out of metal, and he, I mean, he sliced the daylights. I mean, it was staples, stitches, everything. And and uh, only a few people saw it, and I saw it, and I saw the blood trail. And, and then he just looked at it, grabbed it, grabbed a hanky, plugged the hole, and danced for another hour. And I walked up to him, I'm like, dude, you need stitches. He's like, yeah, well, it can wait. He said, we've heard ourselves playing basketball. We've heard ourselves playing baseball. Yeah. Might as well go overboard and you might risk getting hurt in Pentecost. Hallelujah. I had one other man, uh, he was shouting and dancing, and he just let it loose, and his chin hit the edge of a grand piano, a grand piano, and it literally just opened up. Right there, blood's all pouring down, and he came up to me like, Brother Cam, tell him. I feel like God doesn't love me. Am I being rebuked by God? I said, no, you just need to keep your eyes open when you're dancing. <laughs> That'll help greatly. Hallelujah. Why don't we all stand for the reading of the word, Matthew chapter 14. I want to give honor to you, you president. I love this spirit. You are a blessed district. I have the strangers. I have the new And, uh, you know, I, I, I try to be kind and compliment as much as I can, but it's kind of just a, a same old, same old. You hear from every preacher comes up, new things, talking about your new president and secretary. But I, I want to tell you something. I feel the Holy Ghost on this couple and a sincere hunger for apostolic revival and a sincere desire to see the young people of this district excel in the kingdom of God. We're very blessed in this district with a straighter family. And uh, we thank God for them. It's so good to meet uh, our district superintendent, Brother Allen, shook his hand, chatted with him for a moment, appreciating him, and our district secretary, and everybody that's here. Uh, thank you for coming. God bless you in Jesus' name. Uh, I believe the team I was on, quote, was it staff against campers softball? No, but we still whooped you. Who was on the women's team? It was like 183, I think. My boys were No, I don't think we did. I think we won friends correction. We'll talk later. And who's the guy that caught two of my pop balls? Whoa. I'll preach against you tonight. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. And straightway, Jesus constrained his disciples to get to a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. When he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray, and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with the waves, for the wind was contrary. 
And in the fourth watch of the night, that's between 3 and 6 a.m., Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is the Spirit. And they cried out for fear. And straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. Everybody say, on the water. And Jesus said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, everybody said he had to step out of the boat. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. And when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him, said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Luke chapter 1 and verse 26. After that, I'm going to read Ephesians 2 and 8. Luke 1 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God into a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin espoused to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Verse 28. Luke chapter 1, the angel came in unto her and said, Hail, thou that art highly favored. Everybody say highly favored. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women. And when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and cast in her mind what manner of salutation this should be. The angel said unto her, Fear not, Mary, for thou hast found favor with God. Everybody say she found favor. One more verse, Ephesians chapter 2. Verse number 8. Paul said, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God. I want to talk to you about something that the Lord has helped me with. It's a principle that I believe if you get it, it will take you to a new level in your walk with God. How many of you want to go to a new level in your walk with God? Call this, I want to step out of the boat. Let's lift our hands and ask God to do what he wants to do. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the authority of the word of God, by the power of the name of Jesus, we bind every spirit that is contrary to the work of the Lord. We loose the angels of God in this place tonight to minister according to your will. That every eye see and every ear hear what thus saith the Lord. God caused me to speak as an oracle yes. of the Lord tonight. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. And everybody say, in Jesus' name, continue to clap your hands and let's lift our voice and give the Lord in a shout of praise. Hallelujah. Oh, come on, just a little bit more. Let's give us some hallelujah. 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 Let's give the name of the Lord. Praise God. You're two people. I high five. So you're the most awesome person I've ever met. Everybody say grace. grace. Everybody say favor. favor. They're translated from the same Greek word in the New Testament, kiatos. And at first glance, it looks as though the words grace and favor are used interchangeably with one another. But the translators knew there was a difference in what was being said when they used grace in some places and favor in other places. There is a difference between 
grace, and favor. The difference can be found by studying the context in which these two words are used. You will find that when grace is used, it is freely given, but favor had to be found. Grace is freely given, but favor must be found. Ephesians 2 and 8 says, The grace of God is the gift of God. What is this? It's unconditional. It's unmerited. It's always undeserved. It cannot be earned. It's for everyone who wants it. If you want remission of sins, you lift your hands and say, Jesus, I'm sorry for my sins. He will forgive you of your sins. Not because of a price you paid, but because of a price he already paid. If you want a new name, if you want to be a part of the family of God, if you want to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, you ask the Lord, I want to be saved, I want to be filled with the Holy Ghost, and God will fill you with the Holy Ghost and cause you to receive his unmerited favor. You will receive that grace from him because he's already paid for it. Grace is available right now for anybody. It doesn't matter if you murdered somebody yesterday. If you sincerely repent today, Jesus will wash your sins away. Grace is always given the moment it's needed. It's immediate. It is freely given. But favor must be found. Moses found favor. Israel found favor. Joseph found favor. David found favor. Favor. Esther found favor. Nehemiah found favor. Mary, the mother of Jesus, found favor. Certain things in God only come from favor. Revival, for instance, is not grace. Revival is favor. Revival is not free. If it was free, every church would be in revival. If revival was free, every young person would be in revival. But revival is not grace. It's favor. Anointing is not grace. Anointing is favor. You have to pay a price. For the anointing. Yeah. I've heard people say to me, and I've heard them say to other elders, I want your anointing. I want that anointing. I want that mantle that you have. And, and, and they really don't understand what they're saying. Right. If you want that anointing, you've got to fight those devils. The gifts of the Spirit are not grace. They are not freely given. Otherwise, everybody would be operating in the gifts of the Spirit all the time. They come from favor. The word gift is translated from the word charisma or charisma, which comes from the word chiaris. And it says, grace is freely given, but Paul said to covet earnestly the best gift. To covet earnestly, zelu, to burn with zeal for, to be zealous in the pursuit of, to desire earnestly, to strive for. To exert yourself to obtain. Why would you need to zealously strive, pursue, and exert yourself for the gifts of the Spirit? Because they are not free. 
They're a product of finding favor with God. Pop Stone King always told me, he said, Joey, if you want to enter into the doors of the supernatural realm, you have to satisfy two guards, and they are prayer and fasting. They will not let you in until you pay the price. It's quiet. I'm going to take a sip of water. Let me tell you the difference between grace and favor. He gives us his grace because of his love for us. He gives us his favor because of our love for him. He gives us grace because of his sacrifice. He gives us favor because of our sacrifice. He gives us grace because God is good. He gives us favor because we are good. He gives us grace because of his love. He gives us favor because of his preference. God will look across this crowd and prefer one young lady over another. One young man over another. Not because of how good your tie looks. Not because of how pretty you think you are. God has preferences. He gives grace to those he loves, but he only gives favor to those he likes. This shouldn't surprise us very much. This happens in camp. We're going to hang out with the people we like. Now, we love everybody just enough to go to heaven, right? You may make me mad. That, that jerk that caught two of my fly balls, he made me mad. But I, I love him just enough to go to heaven. But you're going to hang out with people you like, somebody you can connect to. God is the same way. He loves everybody here, but he likes certain people more than others. And it ain't because of your last name or your money or your nationality. He likes singing more than he likes silence. He likes praise more than he likes to look at He likes people who clap more than people who just look cute. He likes, he likes people who shout more than people who shut up. Yeah. You can literally attract the favor of God by what you do in His presence. This is what David said. You may be seated. He said in First Chronicles 28 and 4, How be it the Lord God of Israel chose me before all the house of my father to be king over Israel forever. And among the sons of my father, he liked me. Gilead was huge. Shama was a powerful man, but God liked David. You can see his preference in scripture. The Bible says several times he healed them all. Everybody say grace. grace. Several times he fed them all. Everybody say grace. grace. But he only took three up the mountain. He gave his favor to the three when he separated them from the crowd. There was something about Peter, James, and John that he liked to have with him when he did certain things. Why only Peter, James, and John? And when he healed Jairus' daughter, he said, shut the door. But hmm, you know what, Peter, James, and John, y'all come on inside. 
And this is the most baffling thing to me. The other disciples were okay with it. And I'm telling you, if, if, I'm, if I'm anything like I am now, back, back when I was there, because I know who I am with his presence now, if they shut the door, I would kick the door in. Come on now. I want to see your eyes when you rebuke death off a dead person. You're not doing this without me. Now. You're going to have to get the, the bouncers to throw me out, but I'm coming in. I'm not lying to you. When I was just a teenager, we had a minister's conference, and, and all these bigwigs are in there, and they're, they're giving these panel sessions, and it was for preachers only. This is before I, I really embraced the call, and I, but I knew something was happening, and, and, and they had bouncers at the door. But, man, I snuck in right when it started, and I thought I was free and clear because I had to hear. I want to know what these preachers are talking about. Don't shut the door on me. What's going on in there? I want to figure it out. And the pastor's wife was standing right around the corner. She said, what are you doing in here, Joey? And I said, uh. She said, shut up. Go get a seat. You got no sister problem. Why were the other disciples okay? Not going up the mountain and watching Jesus, Peter, James, and John ascend into the the altitudes of that mountain. And they were fine. You know why? Because it takes more effort to climb the mountain than to sit and eat your snack at the bottom. All right. Come on now. Ooh. Ooh. That's good. Jesus is not a respecter of persons. Right. But he is a respecter of passion. Amen. He is a respecter of hunger. This is good news. Yeah. This is such good news because it doesn't matter what your past is. It doesn't matter what your last name is. Good or bad. It doesn't matter how much money you have or don't have. You know what Jesus pays attention to? How hungry are you? How passionate are you? Fasted 40 days, went up a mountain. Moses fasted 40 days twice. 
Elijah fasted 40 days. We have Daniel fasting 21 days, doing a 10-day partial fast, a 21-day fast, which means abstaining from food. And, and you see Esther doing the three-day no food, no water fast. We have these examples, Paul doing the seven-day fast when he went up to Jerusalem and, and all of these things. But nowhere does it say you need to do this minimum requirement. Why? Because everything you find in God is entirely based upon your hunger. The place you are at right now is based upon nothing else but your hunger. Some of you operate in the gifts of the Spirit. You had to pay a price for that. Some of you are mighty and anointed when you sing and when you worship. And I saw you laying hands on each other and going crazy. You had to pay a price for that. The place you are in the Holy Ghost right now, you paid a price for that. It's entirely based upon how much of God do you want and how much of yourself are you willing to pay? How much of yourself are you willing to pay on the cross? We have two equations that work here. We have the grace equation. The grace equation says, come up, and in five minutes, God will change your life. You can go from a dirty, rank, stinking, rotten sinner. Be filled with the Holy Ghost, baptized in Jesus' name, and go to heaven if you died right there. You talk about a change. But then if we're not careful, everything else we want in God, we apply the grace equation. I'm going to do a five-minute altar call. I'm going to do a five-minute weekend prayer before church, and then everything I need is going to come. I'm bound by all kinds of spirits, but I'm going to do a five-minute prayer. I'm bound by pornography. I'm bound by lesbianism. I'm bound by all kinds of nasty. I'm going to just do a little five-minute prayer, and the Lord's going to take care of it like he did when I got the Holy Ghost. Wrong. You're applying the grace equation. You need to apply the favor equation. The favor equation says, I ain't getting up until something happens. The favor equation is saying, I'm going to shut up until heaven opens up. I'm not going to stop fasting until I hear a word. I'm not going to stop dancing until it comes. I'm not going to stop reading. I'm not going to stop screaming. There's an answer. There's a deliverance. There's a power. to 
pray and begin to reach out to God. There was a lady in that church, a prophetess, and my pastor, Brother Arnold, knew how she operated, knew how powerful she was. This lady, this is the type of lady, her name's Kathy Shepherd. This is the type of lady, if she looks at you, you pray over your mind immediately. Like, oh Jesus, forgive me of any thoughts I've had that are displeasing to you. Watch me in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. She's that kind of lady. She's literally seen like signs over people's head. It is a blood mind thing. She's, she's operating it. And I was attracted to her so much. And my pastor said, You just, she's, she's like another mother to me, much, much older. And the pastor said, you go get around her as much as you can. Just learn whatever she does. And so I did. And she began to scare the daylights out of me. About the spirit room. She told me that she was a witch. She was a teenager. She came from a family of witches. Her sisters were witches. Her mom was a witch. Her grandfather was a witch. Her aunts were witches. It's like witches incorporated. And they weren't fake witches. There's a lot of fake witches. These were real witches. They, they had literally tapped into the supernatural realm in demonic power in the psychic realm. And they could discern things in the psychic realm. Psychic realm is not always accurate. Holy Ghost is always accurate. Psychic realm, you can hit it and miss it. They were pretty powerful. They would practice by, they would practice their gifts. Just like in Hebrews, it says that you learn to discern between good and evil by exercising that discernment that's inside. You exercise it. You operate in that gift, you get better at it. They did this as witches. They would put an object in their pocket and come into the room, and they, through satanic supernatural power, would say what object was in the pocket. Kathy Sheffield told me of a time when she was 16 years old, she was invited to Souls Harbor, and she came, and the Holy Ghost came on her, and she got the and got baptized in Jesus' name. And immediately she received a summons by the head granddaddy warlock to his office. She went to his office. He said, Kathy, have a seat. I have some questions for you. Did you go to that church I told you not to go to? And she said, yeah, yeah, I did. Okay. Did you get the Holy Ghost? Yes, sir. And I got the Holy Ghost. Did you get baptized in Jesus' name? Yeah, granddaddy, I got baptized in Jesus' name. He said, okay, Kathy, this will be the last time you ever speak to me. He said, we're cutting you off from this family. He said, but before you go, I want you to know something. You got more power in your pinky than this entire family of witches combined. He said, but the problem with the Pentecostals is you never learn to use your power. He said, we witches fast and pray and fast and pray and fast and pray for satanic power. But people like you filled with all power from God are content to sit on the pew and never really understand what's inside of you. And Kathy said, we'll see about that. Started praying and fasting and she excelled in prayer. She began to tap into realms and all the giftings that she had from the satanic side. God released her in those realms in the Holy Ghost side. 
When Kathy Sheffield would walk in an altar, it would be like fire would just, everywhere she went, if she would touch somebody, fire would just it could erupt in that part of the altar. She's kind of calmed down a little bit. She's getting bold now. She just watches everything and prays. And she's still powerful. But man, it was like a firebrand just going through that altar and just pouring gas on everything. She was, she, and then she would scare the daylights out of us. She'd talk about angels and devils. And it was wonderful. So, <laughs> so she began to teach me about prayer and, and she told me something. She said, Joey, she said, there's a great big ocean of the Spirit. She said, most people go to the beach and they're content to just dip their toes in the water and say, ooh, oh, that feels good. Some people get out knee-deep and they can feel the ebb and flow of the current. Something is moving them. Some people are crazy enough to get waist-deep and sometimes they're lifted off their feet by that water. Then you got the freaks <laughs> who are like, it's there, let's explore. And they just dive right in. And she said, you have to determine what kind of hunger you're going to release on Jesus. And it was about this time that I met Brother Stone King. I was 15 years old. He came up to me. We were at a conference. And he singled me out, walked up to me. He's like, Joey, boy. <laughs> I had a lot more hair back then. I don't have tons of hair now, but I had a lot of hair back then. He said, Joey, I wish I had your hair. <laughs> He said, don't worry, boy, we'll have it all in heaven. <laughs> and, and we started connecting. I actually, when I heard Lee Stokin preach, um, I thought he was the best African-American preacher I've ever heard in my life. And when I saw him and they said, hey, that's Lee Stokin, I'm like, no, he's not African-American. <laughs> Lee Stokin is African-American. You can't preach that good unless you're African-American. And, and then I, I, I listened to so many black preachers, and I love black gospel music, and they said, that's Lee Stonking, he's white. And I couldn't believe it. And then we met, and then we talked, and, and something got a hold of me, this call to prayer got a hold of me. My mother would take me to the church when I was a teenager, she would drop me off, and I, I began to pray, and I just knew if I prayed an hour a day, I was going to get a hold of something in God. I could find, I could find something in God and be like Lee Stonking. So I began to try an hour a day, 15. And it was the worst prayer meetings you can possibly imagine because I didn't know how to pray. I started praying like, you know, like we all do. You look at the clock and you say, okay, it's okay, last time. Got an hour to pray. Hallelujah, 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 Lord, 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 Hallelujah, glory, 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 hallelujah. Surely I prayed 30 minutes. Oh my God, it's only been three minutes. And, and I did that for several days, and I didn't get anywhere. And it was frustrating, and I couldn't feel God, and it was boring for me and him. And I, got fr I was very emotionally unstable. I had all kinds of issues, and maybe we'll get into that later, but very incredibly emotionally unstable. And I would get so angry and so, so depressed and just 
amazing roller coaster rides. And if I couldn't feel him, I felt like he was rejecting me. I remember taking my jacket off and throwing it at the ceiling and screaming, God, where are you? I want to know you. If you're real, I want to know you. And that was actually probably the first real prayer I actually said. And God spoke back to me, plain as day. He said, you want more? Yes. <laughs> he said, can you add five minutes to your prayer time? And I did an immediate quick calculation. Only 65 minutes. <laughs> yes, I can. Even if I have to repeat. The last five minutes, again, I can do it. I can, ask, I can do 65 minutes. And so, man, I'm, I got this excitement. I'm going to pray. I'm breaking out of the box, yo. All right. <laughs> 65 minutes of prayer, yo. I hope I didn't get any real game signs. I didn't need to. <laughs> I heard somebody cock a gun. <laughs> So I began to pray 65 minutes a day, and at first it was exciting, but after a few prayer meetings, it was boring. And again, I, this, this an unstable side was just breaking and falling apart, and I couldn't find him, and I was all emotional. I thought you said, if I did this, where are you? I want you for myself. I'm tired of hearing about other people's Jesus stories. I want to know you. I want to find you. And he said these words. Can you add five more minutes? I want into this Seventy minutes. Few days, seventy minutes. Same scenario. Can you add five more minutes? Seventy-five minutes. Can you add five more minutes? Eighty minutes. Ninety minutes. That's like super spiritual territory, right? <laughs> Ninety minutes of uninterrupted prayer. And and something began to happen. It wasn't a lightning bolt. It was a gradual awakening. My prayer meetings changed. I'll never forget it. It was at the hour and a half mark. Because I, I knew I was going beyond the norm as a teenager. This kind of reality was on me. Going beyond the norm as a 15-year-old kid at an hour and a half a day. Now, there's others out there but no one that I personally knew. And, and at the hour and a half mark, I remember my prayer channel changed. Because there's channels in prayer. The default prayer channel that most people operate in is supplication. Oh God, please God. Oh, I love you God. Oh. And your face is always like this. <laughs> And it changed. I hope I'm okay. I'm just saying. Oh, no. It changed from supplication to proclamation. I began to speak things with authority. Yes. I remember at the hour and a half mark, I was sitting in my church. We were having a, a big church prayer meeting. I was sitting up at the front. I was cross-legged, rocking back and forth. Just finished almost an hour and a half, and I was finishing the prayer, and when I finished the prayer, I said, in Jesus' name. And I heard myself 
and I could feel the spirit realm hear me when I said in Jesus' name. Something shook. And a lady, a very spiritual lady in our church, came over to me, and about a few seconds later, she said, I felt something when you said in Jesus' name. I was like, that's right, in Jesus' name. <laughs> Teenager, I was not like y'all, y'all are wise and, and way beyond your years. <laughs> and this authority started coming upon me. And I began to proclaim and begin to almost like preach when I was praying. It, it became more powerful and more powerful. And the Lord kept saying, five more minutes, five more minutes, five more minutes. And the more I gave, the more excited I got and the more excited he got. You want to know why your prayer meetings are boring? You're not giving enough of yourself. When you really know you're paying a price in your prayer meeting, everything changes. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah. Come on. Come on now. And he began to awaken me. I remember at 17 years old, somewhere around there, I was, I was, I was in this realm of prayer, daily prayer. This, and I had all kinds of issues, and I was dealing with sin and addictions and all kinds of problems. And, but God kept drawing me into prayer, drawing me into prayer. And it was something that I could not live without because at home it was a disaster, and it was depression, and it was suicidal, and it was broken. And I found this place. If I went to the church, I found out I could walk in depressed and leave happy. I can walk in bound and leave free. real and 
he was actually waiting on me to get done so we could spend time together. My prayer meetings became crazy. I would put on John P. Key. Y'all don't know nothing about John P. Key, right? Let me tell you about John P. Key. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Before Ty Trivet and Kirk Franklin and Eddie James, y'all know any of those names? All right, all right, all right. Before any of those guys, there was John P. Key. John McGee was a bad, bad man. He was a simply God. He had the Holy Ghost, and he knew about flowing and the anointing. And, and man, I would turn the church sound system on. This was totally illegal. I learned later I wasn't supposed to do it. Somehow I got a key to every single room in our church, and I knew how to run the sound system. And I would always go there when nobody else was there. I would leave all the lights off at the church. It was, I don't know, spooky and wonderful to me. It was just, going to come out. You know? Just heightens your senses. I could never pray with, like, any kind of church music. <laughs> yeah. work for me. John P. Key was where it was at. And so put him on, and it's like, bum, bum, bum. oh, clap your head. Dum, 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 dum. And then when that would come on, I would just start, I was by myself dancing. Yeah. By myself rolling. That's right. If there was a speaker, I'd have knocked it over. <laughs> <laughs> Something, something got a hold of me. Something, something from another world. I remember, I remember looking out of the, the doors of the church and there was a big playground with a basketball court and all our guys, in my teenage years, all our guys were out there and they were playing basketball. And I'm not against basketball because we're gonna whoop somebody in basketball tonight. But anyway, back, back to the spirit. <laughs> I, I looked out that window and I, 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 I was in the Holy Ghost at that moment. And God just kind of lined up this moment when I looked out the window. They were all playing ball and I had been in the presence of God for hours. And my body was lit up and my eyes were wide and the revelation of Jesus Christ was pulsing through my veins and I felt so bad for them. Out there. And it was around this time I went to the church and it was a work night at the church. And I went, I tried to find a place to pray, and the prayer room was occupied. They were vacuuming the prayer room, getting ready for something. It's hard to pray when people are vacuuming the prayer room. <laughs> wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. You can't get in the spirit. It's impossible. And, and and my favorite chair was in the prayer room. I loved the prayer chair that was in the prayer room. It was this old chair from like, you know, 1200, <laughs> the medieval period. And, and everybody prayed in this chair. You would fight over this chair. I don't know why. It was just this comfy old Victorian chair. And the fabric was coming off. And it smelled because there were so many different body odors that had been incorporated into the fabric of that chair. And people sat on the chair. And they put their face in the chair. And there were snot stains and stuff all over the chair. But it didn't matter. It was the holy prayer chair. <laughs> and when the fabric was coming apart, you could stick your fingers down and play with the cotton while you prayed. That's my favorite thing to do. I have to have something in my hand when I pray. Anybody else like that? Yeah, that's good. Bless you. So, so I could that that was unavailable. And then I went to I had a key to the school. In the school, they were working in the school. Couldn't pray in the school. Went into the other gym. They were in the other gym cleaning. And they were, they were in the sanctuary. Everybody was everywhere. And I was mad. Like, where am I going to pray? I looked in the corner of the church. 
the door to the nursery, the light was off. <laughs> Went to the nursery. As soon as I opened the door to the nursery, a demonic blast of putrid stink hit me in the face. Whose ever ministry it was to take out the holy diaper trash had blasphemed the Holy Ghost and failed God miserably. And it was summer in Florida, and it stayed all night long in 95-degree weather, just festering and boiling. Mm. All right. <laughs> and I'm a gagger. Any other daddy's a gagger? Oh, praise God. It was wonderful. I'm a gagger. I, even to this day... Uh, my, my boys are wonderful and beautiful, but they're three portable sewage factories. It's incredible. We can stay at <laughs> the hotel room in literally two minutes. It's a different hotel room. I don't know why I'm telling you this, but yeah, I just want to share these But I, I, I gag. I, I, I would rather just take them outside and hose them down and have to deal with the, the diaper chain. But, but, but I do it, and, 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 and it's, it's rough. So I went to the poopy diaper trash, and I'm, I'm about to hurl. <laughs> not working. I run into the dumpster and I'm dumping in the dumpster. Thank God that's over with. I walk back to the nursery. I'm just trying to pray. Walk back to the nursery and when I walk into the nursery, nothing changed. That smell had ingrained itself into every fiber of that thing. And it was the only place I had to pray. And so for two hours, I struggled through the worst prayer meeting of my life. It stuck so bad, Jesus didn't even show up. <laughs> and I got so frustrated. I couldn't keep a train of thought because every time you say hallelujah, hallelujah! <laughs> After two hours, this is exactly what happened. After two hours of prayer. I went to the door of the nursery. I said, God... I don't know what I did to deserve this, but I'm going home and I'm going to study. Love it. And right before I walked out the door, the Holy Ghost spoke to me. He said, go outside on the playground and study. It's the weirdest thing ever. It was an interruption of my thoughts by another thought that was not mine. And I knew it was different. I knew something. My logical side began to question, why would God tell me to go outside on the playground and study? And, and so I felt like if I didn't do what he was asking me to do, I might miss something. Just what if it is, God? What do I got to lose? What if? Are you, are you hungry enough to step out on a what if? What if it is God telling you to go lay hands on that person? What if it is God telling you to go witness to that person? What if it really was God? So anyway, went outside, sat on the park bench, and Begin to study, and as soon as I sat down, the doors to the gymnasium burst open. And a father with his dead baby in his arms came running, screaming to the top of his lungs. He's not breathing. He's not breathing. The baby was covered in blood. 
He was a little toddler. He had toddled out onto the court because some big old boys had played ball there. They had tripped over him and crushed his head into that concrete, just blunt force trauma to that little baby's skull. And he was out. There was no breath. There was no pulse. I don't know what level of dead he was, but for our intents and purposes, could not revive him. And this father was streaking towards the doors of the church. And I saw where he was going, so I ran to meet him. And I opened the doors. They had ripped his shirt off trying to resuscitate him to get a pulse. Could not revive him. His, his left ear looked like it had been pressed in a little bit. The bones that, that kind of lined that ear looked like it had just been crushed. And he laid that dead, bloody baby on the altar. When he called 911, he started screaming Jesus. And it, I don't know how to describe it to you except to say, when I saw that dead baby on the altar, it's like God pushed an arm button. And it dawned upon me, if I hadn't been out there, I was going to go home. But something told me to go out on the playground, and if I hadn't been out on the playground, this man screaming with his dead baby that's on the altar in front of me, I would have missed this entire thing. And, and probably for the first time in my life, the full force of the gift of faith came upon me. And I knew God had set me up. For this moment. And I knew this dead baby was about to breathe. I yeah. knew it. I mean, it was just like a big sign was painted over his head. He ain't dead. And I, I took control of the situation. It really wasn't my personality at the time. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command life to come back into this dead baby's body now. And I screamed it in Jesus' name. And the baby that had no pulse and wasn't breathing instantaneously came back to life. So they rushed him to the hospital. Half the church followed him to the hospital. They rushed him into the back room and they, they did some tests on him. And they, the doctor said, listen, we are fighting for his life. Blood trauma to the head. His, the membrane around his brain is swell, swollen with fluid. The pressure is there. It's, 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 it can kill him if we don't, don't do something. We're fighting for his life. A few minutes later, I don't know how long, 45, an hour, I don't know, somewhere around there. We were just praying up and down the emergency room. The doctors came back out and said, he's stable. Uh, he seems to be in stable condition. Uh, we're doing MRIs on his brain, and it looks as though, unfortunately, the, the trauma to the brain has caused bleeding in the brain, and it's settling in that area of language, and he's going to have some severe language disabilities uh, if, it, if it stays there. And so they, they did some more tests, and after a while, a long while after these tests, they came back out and they said, listen, we don't know what's going on, but he's totally stable. We did some more MRIs. It's negative for bleeding on the brain. He didn't have a single issue. They put a band on his knee. Put a band on his knee. It's so hard. What happened? God set me up. It, it could have been anybody. But, but I was in the right place. 
at the right time because God's voice put me there. I think about David. What was David doing on that battlefield? God set him up because he had favor. God's looking for a young man to set up with some miracles. God's looking for a young lady to set up with some miracles. He wants to put you in positions where you speak the word. And healing happens. Deliverance happens. Power falls. I feel the Holy Ghost. Lift your hands and let your voice out. Now we want something like this. I said, let your voice out. Don't worry about anybody else. It's between you and the Lord. Let your voice out. Sunday morning before church, a desperation came over me because I've seen so many miracles. I've seen obviously a little dead baby come back to life. I've seen uh, blinded eyes open. I've seen deaf ears unstopped. I've seen uh, limbs that were broken or, or uh, ligaments that were torn, things like that, things in, inside of the body. I had never, at the point I prayed this prayer, I had never seen God physically alter something in front of me. Like remove a massive tumor right in front of my face. And this desperation came on me this Sunday morning before I was preaching. I began to pray this prayer. God, I've seen so many ballistics. God, I've seen this. You've done so many miracles. I've seen so many thousands get the Holy Ghost. But I, I've never seen you alter some impossibility right in front of my face. And I long for it. I want it, God. I prayed an earnest prayer, an earnest prayer. And I just kind of chalked that up to God moving on in the spirit of prayer. That Sunday night, Holy Ghost fell. During the service, I was laying hands on somebody at the altar. And while I laid hands on them, and I was focused on them, I felt a tap on my shoulder. And I turned around, and there was a beautiful little old lady, just white hair, pretty sweet, sweet little old lady. She said, hey, come here, this lady needs you to pray for her. She's got a tumor. So okay, just because my hand was here. And she was tapping, and she's trying to pull me like just one second. Let me finish and I'll be right there. And so I turned back around to focus on this person I was praying for, and she grabbed my arm <laughs> and began to kindly escort me <laughs> to the lady with the tumor. Now, what do you do when a sweet little old lady grabs you? You go. And it was in the middle of the church, and this lady, I could tell she had never been in church uh, very much. The way she was looking around and watching, and she was wearing white pants and a white blouse. And, and she stood up, and, I, and she said, tears started running out of her eyes as soon as I walked up to her. I said, 
said, what's up? What can I pray for? She said, I got a tumor. A tumor in belly. And her pants were pulled up over the tumor. Pants were too big for her without the tumor. The tumor added to her waistline. and They, they were being held up. The pants were being held up. Too. I got this tumor. It's cancerous. I'm in deep trouble. The doctors say it's very, very serious. I need a miracle from God. Just ball on the side. And, and I prayed, I said, in the name of Jesus Christ, we all come to pray, in the name of Jesus, we rebuke this tumor from your body. Be healed in Jesus' name with authority and power. Walked away from her, started making my way throughout the altar, because it's up to God. If he's going to do it, he's going to do it. You know, it has nothing really to do with us. We just pray. Right. And, and I walked back into the altar, and I heard a blood-curdling scream. And I turned around, and this lady was freaking out of her brain, like a Pentecostal. <laughs> I'm not kidding with you. She was hitting people. She was falling back in the seat, screaming, it's gone, it's gone. I mean, and, and it shut down the service, kind of. <laughs> Everybody looked at her, and she, she was screaming, it's gone, to her, it's gone. And while she was screaming, her pants started falling down. <laughs> because the tumor wasn't there to hold them up anymore. She grabbed her pants and pulled them up and kept on going at it, flailing her arms, screaming, it's gone. Jesus has healed my body. What is that? It's a miracle from God that I want you to get the other side of it. I want you to get the other side of it. It's a setup. It's all a big setup. God will just put inside of you to do something you don't normally do. And you got to make the decision right there. Am I going to do it? No matter how crazy it is, am I willing to risk? Am I willing to take a risk? May it just be God calling me to an invitation. I gotta confess to you. It's in Gotta confess to you, I am so sick of cookie cutter Pentecostalism. Sick to death of it. You're not getting any. Let's all pray. What are you doing? Stop. What are you doing? You're doing the same things you've always done. Because it's comfortable for you. This is what made Peter so powerful. They're in the boat. The storm's there. They're fighting all night long, trying to save their lives. They think they're going to die. Water, the, the boat's filling up with the water. And then, to top it all off, a ghost comes on the water and starts walking towards them. They're like, ah! There's a gentleman drowsy back there. I want to make sure he woke up. <laughs> It's a spirit! We're going to die! We're already dying. There's ghosts everywhere right now. We're dying right now. 
It's over. It's over. Jesus said, hey, guys, you, you understand there's wind blowing, there's rain falling. It's not this quiet, cute little scene. The boat's rocking. <laughs> Water's being splashed everywhere. Jesus did not say, hey, it's okay. Hey, it's me, guys. Be not afraid. And when the disciples knew it was Jesus, can you imagine the relief? Oh, they're saved. They're not going to drown. And they went from screaming to giving each other high five, man. Philip and John were like, boy, I knew it. I knew we were going to be all right. Here's Jesus. We're going to make it now. I knew it was going to be fine. Might as well sit back and enjoy the roller coaster now. Jesus is coming. <laughs> Congratulating each other because everybody's so happy they're saved. But there was one guy in the boat that wasn't satisfied with just being saved. And he looked out and saw what Jesus was doing. And something came over him. I don't want to just be saved. I want to be like that. Out of all the boys in the boat, Peter was the only one who was not satisfied with salvation. Yeah. And he said, Lord, if it's really you, the storm's blowing, the wind's blowing, lightning's flashing, this is death mode. If it's really you, bid me to come out there like you. Yeah. Jesus, who's always game, if you want to go to the next level, come. And now, here's the moment, folks, because, you know, the disciples are watching, and they, they're, they're sitting back with their tea now because everything's good. And Peter's on the edge of the boat, and the storm's raging, and they're like, what? And so they're like, Peter, we believe in you, bro. You go ahead and do your thing. We've got your back. We're praying for you. Do exactly what you feel. God is with you. Step out of the boat, bro. Do whatever you feel. You see, over here is what man made to keep you safe. Over here is what God made. And the only thing that can keep you safe is Him. Over here, over here, you got a bunch of guys that will pat you on the back for being just like them. Over here, you risk making a total fool of yourself. Over here, you got the same level you've always been on. Over here, every single step is a miracle.
makes up in his mind. If he's doing it, I can do it. I want to be like him. He steps out of the boat. And now he's literally walking in the same dimension as Jesus is walking. And then the lightning flashed. And then the wind blew. And some water hit him in the face. And he realized, oh my God, what am I doing? Starts going down. He gets to freak out. Jesus! Jesus is there immediately. Yeah. Saves him. And he says, that was my son, by the way. He's with me. <laughs> he says the most peculiar phrase I've ever seen in the Bible. He looks at Peter and he says, Oh, thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? I'm thinking to myself, Peter's probably like,